0: Welcome to Friends of Fire, the podcast that bridges the gap between fire science research and natural resource management. My name is Marionelle Armstrong, Outreach Specialist with Southern Fire Exchange, and today we will be talking with Adam Warwick about the Southern Blue Ridge call when needed fire crew model. Adam is the Stewardship Manager for the Nature Conservancy's North Carolina Southern Blue Ridge Program. He oversees management of 15,000 acres of conservation lands in western North Carolina. Adam's work focuses on restoring and maintaining southern Appalachian bogs, as well as oak and pine woodlands and fire-dependent ecosystems of the southern Blue Ridge. And he leads multiple southern Blue Ridge Fire Learning Network landscapes, as well as the bog learning network. Adam has a Bachelor of Science degree in Zoology from the University of Tennessee, and a Master of Science degree in Fisheries and Wildlife from the University of Missouri. He studied moist soil management for migratory birds and use of bottomland hardwood forests and agroforests by bats and swamp rabbits. Before joining the Nature Conservancy eight years ago, Adam managed game and red-cockaded woodpecker populations for the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission and learned to burn on Tate's Hell State Forest. Adam's recent work has included studying the effects of fire on bog turtle populations and investigating the effects of burning on bog hydrology and green pitcher plant response. He has recently published literature syntheses, Considerations for Fire and Wildlife in the Southern Blue Ridge, and The Fire Manager's Guide to Blue Ridge Ecozones, which are free and available in both print and digital form from the Southern Blue Ridge Fire Learning Network website, and links to these resources will also be included in the podcast description. This episode is part one of two discussing the call when needed fire crew model. In this episode, we discuss the general design of the crew, what makes this crew unique, how to support crew cohesion, minority engagement, and how this type of crew is helping promote a healthy fire culture. Okay, so now I'd like to get into this call when needed crew model. This first was, when I first read about this, it was so interesting to me because I feel like this has a huge opportunity to fill this niche that is so needed. Like we are very often personnel resource limited. Like we don't have enough trained personnel to get all the fires done when we are able to, because we're already weather limited. And then if we don't have all the people that we need on a burn day because there's one good burn day in 10 days, so everyone's burning. This seems like a great way to fill that niche, possibly in a way that's less cost intensive. So first, could you explain the general design of this crew for everyone, like the basics, general structure, and what's unique about this crew model?
1: Sure. Yeah. um, Thanks for having me and thanks for giving me the um, opportunity to talk about it because I really am interested in, you know, I'm looking at the sort of looking at the bigger picture. I would I'd love to see if this could work other places. And I think it has uh, tons of potential. I agree with you. So for those that don't know the Nature Conservancy, I think in the United States each season, we hire about 150 seasonal firefighters. And for the most part, you'll get uh, what we do is a four to six person crew with a squad boss or a crew leader working full time in around starting in around January through April. And I'm not sure about a price tag on that. But when I came to the mountains, you know, I came from Florida where we had, you know, 100 some odd burn days a year at least. Um, And I got up here and started working through the Southern Blue Ridge Fire Learning Network and realized that, um, y- you know, the challenges were, like you said, capacity, people, and uh, burn days. So I chose to uh, really start to tackle that, the capacity issue first, because it was pretty clear, you're right, nobody up here ha- had enough people to pull off these burns, and the mountain burns are pretty intensive. So so I was able to convince, um, so I was like, what we need is a uh, a lot of people on a given you know a given burn window and you may go 3 or 4 weeks without a burn window in the typical burn season which is october november through april and i got to thinking about it and lobbied my boss for some money for a pilot project and the, the nature conservancy north carolina was super supportive of it and gave us a little bit of money and so that first year we hired Ten folks on a part-time, seasonal basis. That's a there's a specific classification for that in in the TNC employment. And so that was the idea. We're going to hire you from November to May, and during that time, we're going to look for people. The the fire management officers will call and we will go help them burn on that day, or fire or prep fire line. And so we were able to hire ten, and it and it, and it works you know, it was slow at first because, you know, in the fire world, you kind of got to get out and work with people on the ground and develop those trust and relationship and demonstrate the value. So, so then we, uh, we were able to do that with 10 people that first year in pilot money, uh, pilot project money from TNC, North Carolina. So ever since then, we've gotten um, the U.S. Forest Service region eight to, to fund our, fund our crew work. And it's just really, it's really taken off. But That's the idea. I mean, these, uh, I'm looking for folks that have other, not looking for folks that have other jobs, but folks that have the ability to be available to come burn when I call them at least 40 to 50% of the time throughout a season. Our crew members are, some are retired. Some have, uh, most have other jobs. So that's the idea. You kind of call people, you have, you know, the FMO, the fire management officer calls me and says, hey four or five days in advance, weather's looking good for Thursday or, or uh, and I, I could use five folks. And I say, okay, let me let me check. I think probably the funniest part is, is we use a doodle poll. <laughs> I mean, we've always, you know, we use those for other things and planning meetings, but I go down that doodle poll and I got, you know, between volunteers and, and crew, I have, you know, 30 people in there and they check a box and I go on there and I say, and I see how many people I got. Nowadays this season, you know, there's times where we're burning 3 and 4 different places on the same day, supporting 3 or 4 different partners in the same day. So so it gets complicated, but it's the core of it is really is simple. There's no downtime with this crew, and there's no need for me to ever find work. These folks, some of them 4 or 5 of them are retired. So if I were to, if it were to be a full-time crew, they wouldn't be that interested anyway. And those folks are so valuable because they have 25 and 30 years of experience. And so it allows me to bring in folks that aren't that experienced and really pair people together to really get that mentoring, learning type experience. I try to take some lessons from the the treks, the training exchanges that we do, uh, that TNC does and and partners. And really, I tell people it's like a season-long treks. Where you're either training or, or you're either a mentor or you're you're being mentored at some point everybody everybody's got skills of uh, various skill sets on this crew so so yeah that's the idea part time call when needed you know it works uh it works really well for us
0: with this doodle poll so you have a doodle poll that is just running constantly is it or do people change their availability every single week
1: Yep, or by the day. You know, today I this morning I sent out an email and said, Hey, um, here's what we got. The weather's looking really good. Um, we got a cold front pass through last night and it's gonna we're gonna dry for a couple days and the RHs are supposed to be lower next week, so it's looking perfect. And then I told him, I said, I really need y'all this week because a lot of people, a lot of agency staff are on. Sp- Kids are on spring break and they're taking vacation. We've got a great sort of borderline dormant season, growing season, burn week lining up. So I really need y'all. Now, some of them are available more than others. It's a variable mix of experience and availability. And um, and then this year, of course, you know, I've lost a few crew to going out uh, for their western summer positions already, um, their western wildfire suppression positions and and other, and other challenges. So we're down a few. So that's, and that's what I said, and then I gave a little table that says, okay, the, the Pisca Grandfather Ranger District wants to finish out this aerial ignition burn that we worked on last week, and Cherokee North Zone is called, and um, and they're looking for about five folks um, with a firing boss. And I kind of give them an outlook, because, you know, like three of my folks work for the Asheville Fire Department, and they're able, if you give them an advance notice, they're able to trade shifts, and finagle their schedule. So I've learned over the years, the more advanced notice and the more communication I can provide, the more people that I'm going to be able to to get out on fires. Gotcha. And if, so everybody wants to burn. It's just a matter of juggling their personal life and other responsibilities to, to be able to burn.
0: So each time you get an ask for a fire or fire break construction or something, then you send out a doodle poll with like the available potential times and then it seems like you also give some kind of level of urgency like hey I really need people this week
1: exactly or
0: maybe keep it common if you think there's going to be enough people to cover the what's needed
1: yeah that's right it's like but I don't do different doodle polls I start one at the season and it's always the same one it's always the same link okay. uh, most people have the app on their phone so um all of a sudden they uh their daughter got sick and they have to stay home let's jump on there and punch out that they're not available those for the next two or three days or they had to go out of town all of a sudden or they're they're um they're ill or they're this year they're having to quarantine for covid or um stuff like that so it's pretty much always open and you can go on there anytime and, and adjust your adjust your schedule
0: Oh, that's a great idea. That's such an easy way to do scheduling.
1: Yeah, I was on a webinar a few weeks ago, and I think Daniel Godwin told me um about something some similar mechanism with Google, which I may look into in the future, but this work this works so well for us I would I'm not sure why um, why we would change it. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it yeah, it works great.
0: So how far might you end up traveling to burn?
1: Um, well, uh, as far as aerial distance or driven distance, I don't know, but we're based in Asheville, so I think I, well, we were going to go over to the Cumberland Plateau and help this year if, if we were needed, but it hasn't necessarily worked out so far. And we have a kind of a crew over there, um, and so then, uh, but we will. We have driven two and a half hours, three hours down to the south zone of the Cherokee, the Teleco Ranger District, and. Far sort of southeast Tennessee down there, Cleveland, and um, that's about the that's about the farthest we've traveled so far. There's other places out to the northeast and in northwestern North Carolina where it takes almost two and a half hours from Nashville as well, Stone Mountain State Park. So mm-hmm. we haven't been asked to go up to the um, that Southwest Virginia, the Clinch Ranger District, and the G.W. Jeff, but we would, we certainly would.
0: Do you ever end up staying overnight on projects? Or is it more of a day-to-day kind of thing, come and go
1: home? More and more, it, as each year goes by, it's more overnights. But it's fun. We have a blast. We camp. This year, TNC is kind of discouraged staying in hotels with COVID and all. So we've had a blast camping. We've, we've had stayed in cabins at, when we helped South Carolina State Parks burn. And it's always an adventure. That's the, that's the coolest thing I think people love about this crew. It's always something different. You never work, probably a whole season, you may never work with the same crew twice, 40 or 50 burns probably this season. Yeah. And you're you're always going to be working with somebody different. And we're only limited to two people per vehicle this year. So we have folks have great conversations in the car and, and get to know each other. And it's just um, the backgrounds of all these people are just are fascinating it's really neat
0: yeah i was interested in what kind of work people do that allows them to be on this crew and do you ever get like parents that you know most of the time they need to stay home and uh, stay with their kids but maybe they have some flexibility to have days off and can help you burn
1: totally yeah my um my crew leader, one of my crew leaders is her name is Jennifer O'dell. She's been with me since the very first season. She has two little ones at home. She manages her uh, her homestead or her family farm. Um, she worked out in Arizona on the Coconino years ago, went here locally to Warren Wilson College and um, her husband is an is an arborist. so they live out. She has those two kids and some days, yeah, she can't she can't work. her husband has to go work. And they trade, they sort of trade. She's uh, over the years, her responsibility with our crew has, has just increased, but yes, she's one example of a, of a crew member that, that does have, uh, that does have kids. I'm trying to think and, and others do as well. Um, you know, the, another challenge, you know, another fit for our crew has been the the small business, the, the family business owners. Um, I got a couple of those guys that live down Near me, one sells his family business as roofing material, metal roofing, and the other fella, uh, they do metal plating for um, Boeing and other high-end metal. So so they have challenges getting out um, sometimes, some weeks. Weekends tend to be good for them. So it's all, it's all over the place. Kids and other responsibilities, jobs, and even uh, hobbies and things. So, yeah, they have to juggle it. But... They all love fire and they love it as much as I do, as much as we do. So, yeah, they're coming out on their days off. Like I said, the guys at Asheville Fire Department, it works for them because their schedule tends to be three days on, four days off. So that works out well. It doesn't work out too well for college students because the chances of our burn days occurring on a weekend when they don't have class, it's just not that good. It just hasn't Mm -hmm. hasn't worked out well. Obviously, it works out for our retired folks. We have five or six retired folks, and they have fairly, fairly flexible schedules. So yeah, it's sort of a really broad, diverse group. And then there's this this little um, this little section that seems to grow every year. We have this this year we had twelve people, twelve crew members return from the previous season, and that's been about standard. And so we usually fill these five or six, seven slots with folks um, with less experience, and they're tend to be folks that are trying to break into the wildland fire career and are, are, are local in Western North Carolina and want that want that opportunity. Mm-hmm. so and it's really hard to get here. It's really hard to um, get that fire experience here. if, you, if, you're, if you're local and you're, you know your family's here or for some reason you don't have the ability to chase jobs around the country like you like we typically have to do to sort of break in. Some folks can't do that. And, um, and so this crew offers them the opportunity. Juniper especially, you know, she's um, she's loves fire. She's got it in her blood just like, just like we do. And um, this is the perfect opportunity for her. If it was full-time, she couldn't do it. It kind of has to be part-time. And that's why people like it. It t- ends up being close to full-time sometimes because the mountain burn days are about, 13 to 16 hour days usually wow. so um, between the, the commute so I mean between two three burn days and, and we're already I'm not allowed to get them into overtime really so it's, it, can, it can be challenging some weeks mm-hmm. but it works out it works out
0: so what are people's motivations for being a part of this kind of crew I think you just kind of covered some of them I imagine that the love for fire and fire ecology and the flexibility of are probably two of them
1: yeah, that's it. The love for fire is, is the primary thing. I think increasingly we're we're just good friends. And I think the camaraderie, I mean, I can't think of anything better than going out to the woods and, and burning with a group of friends. I'd rather do that than hanging out at the house, drinking beer. I like to do that too. But uh, just going out in the woods and burning, I, I love, like I said, whitewater kayaking is great too. But, and it's the same sort of thing, being in nature. And I think they're really bought into our, I feel like I've done a good job inspiring them. I feel like that, you know, you know, the thing is the first year we had this crew and even in successive years, these aren't, these 23 folks aren't going to the TNC website looking for jobs. They're not looking for fire jobs either, really. And so I, I get out and recruit and they just, they understand the importance, they've always sort of, most of them differentially have, have known what the role of fire in our Southern Appalachian and our forest and in the, in the future of oak and Southern pine conservation and, um, and early successional vegetation and stuff. So I, uh, I'm more about ecology, I think, than uh, I'm more of an ecology person than an operations person. And, and so I have a lot of operations people on my crew. I can inspire I inspire them about the ecology and the conservation, and I talk about the new um sort of the new technology and maps and eco zones and things and um, and they dig it and it helps tie it all together and they're just bought into what we're what we're doing with the Southern Blue Ridge Fire Learning Network. They love to go around and they see these places that they never would go otherwise, they're unique spots that you know you can't necessarily. Uh, in some cases, they're difficult to hike to, and you get to see. You're not on the trails, obviously. You're in the interior of these burn units, and you might be you might be burning off this ridge, and you go down into um, you fall off the ridge, and you're taking fire down off that spur ridge, and all of a sudden you get down there, and there's like this 60 foot waterfall that's not on any map. Just stuff like that. It's just, and it's cool. And then also, you know, I've told people too. I, I buy them dinner on the way home, and that—if nothing else—that might be the thing that they love the most: is hanging out and doing like this, eating dinner, eating Mexican food, and talking about um talking about what we did that day and what we saw, kind of doing like an informal little AAR. I think that's probably about about their favorite part. So I think it it checks a lot of boxes and it's fun. It's it's physical activity. Mountains burning is like. It's tough. You know, you don't have switchbacks when you're going up a, fi- a mountain's fire line. It's, it's straight up. And so you're worn out. I think it's those are the things that we sort of share, the camaraderie and the physical nature and lighting the woods on fire. I just, there's just nothing better.
0: Yeah. And my next question was going to be, how do you support crew cohesion? But I think you just mentioned three really great ways to support crew cohesion. One of them, you know, is having dinner after the burn and just spending time together where you're not actually working. They're traveling potentially long distances with a couple, maybe one crew member, other crew member this year, but otherwise other crew members, you get time to talk and get to know each other. Yep. And I think what you said about how you're more ecologically minded and some of your crew members are more operations minded and then you can kind of share information that way
1: yeah it's so cool. I, I um you know it's we it's interesting because I actually have mentors, several mentors I think that work for me. One fella, his name's Dean Simon. He retired about three years ago. He was a mountains region forester for the north Wildlife Forester is what the position's called. Uh, he did it for thirty years. He bossed probably four hundred plus burns and was one of the pioneers sort of, of, of burning in the mountains. And so he works for me now. And so I, I have this wealth of information and wealth of knowledge that I can go to with someone on my crew. And he's helping other folks, other partners like South Carolina State Parks really develop their burn program. So, you know, learning from each other is really is really cool. Keith Suttles is on my crew. He worked for the the bridge program of the North Carolina Forest Service for 25 years, and he's a division supervisor. He still goes out west, but that's the inmate program where the inmates in North Carolina mountains can get out and help on burns. He ran that program for years, and he is an amazing sawyer. So it's like every aspect I I can learn something. And one of the cool things about our crew, too, is the paramedic. EMT world, those folks schedules really line up. We're able to show up to most burns with two or three EMTs. That's invaluable on the fire line. And we are all able to learn about medical response to really get better at that. And, and, you know, and we have a lot of folks from structural fire departments. So we talk about that sort of how those things interact. And we're, we're trying to get more structural firefighters, wildland experience. So it's just, it's kind of changing. I feel like it's changing the the culture all the way around. I can't can't recall the actual specific question you asked. That's um...
0: okay. That leads right into, I wanted to talk about the fire culture. That was another thing that really interested me about this crew, was that because you're grabbing from a diversity of people, different backgrounds, different jobs, different career types, lifestyles etc how do you think that's affected the local prescribed fire culture you know we're coming out of this culture of like fire is bad if you see smoke it's a wildfire and slowly especially in the southeast and now in the west i think we're pushing this culture of like fire is a part of our ecosystem it's a part of our world do you feel like this crew has helped contribute to that transition
1: i do i do um you know, uh, my, I think uh, these folks, you know, the broad backgrounds, like I said, uh, one fellow, Corey, he's the assistant fire chief with the Marion Fire Department. And, um, and he has his own property that he burns. And then there's several that also work for volunteer fire departments. And yeah, they go back and they go to church and they go to a uh, different, talk with their families and they, they, they all go back to different lives. And talk about what we're doing, and they talk about the ecology of it, because I feel like I'm, you know, I'm able to convey that information in a, in a pretty a complex topic in a fairly un- understandable way, and I, I'm always tr- figuring out how to try to translate science, and, and I feel like I've, I've been able to do that, and I, I feel like they're able to, you know, they're inspired. They love working in fire, and they, and they understand. It's very nuanced here, um, the, the fire behavior, it's a lot of, a lot of variables to consider. and it's an art. It's so cool. That's what's so cool about mountains burning. and I think any burning is just the art of it is, It's just a noble endeavor. It's like you can if you can set this out, put a team together and set a thousand acres of woods on fire, that's pretty amazing. You're able to contain it, keep it in the box, and everybody go home safe and healthy and you're achieving these conservation objectives. I think that really inspires people and they're able to kind of go back into their community because although we're centered in Asheville, I think there's only two of 23 people that live in Asheville. The rest are scattered about 45 minute ish drive from Asheville in all in all the cardinal directions. So, you know, they're going out in the rural communities. We've done one burn in the city of Asheville, and I'm not as I don't necessarily prioritize that because we have such vast amounts of public land that need burning on the in the rural areas 1.2 million acres of Nana and Pisgah National Forest, and several, you know, several million acres altogether with the Great Smokies and. Um, in Chattahoochee National Forest and other places. So they go back into these rural communities and the volunteer fire departments and they're able to share lessons learned about fire behavior and uh, in the mountains and the, and the role of it. So, yeah, it's I feel like that's one thing I've started to say in recent years is um it's, it's like that where it started out as just a crew to add capacity, but it's just changing the culture now because. We have 10, also 10 volunteers. I really make it straightforward. If they're FFT 2 a firefighter type two qualified, I try to make it really straightforward. And TNC allows us to do that. And it's invaluable to get volunteers out. If you are an aspiring wildland firefighter in Western North Carolina, and you go into the U S forest service office and or the North Carolina forest service office, more times than not, they're sending them to me to get fire experience. That's I mean, that's really gratifying. It's it's in some ways disappointing because I wish I, I wish we weren't the only game in town for that, the best opportunity, but that's where they send them. You know, if you work on a district, a single district, or if you're a county ranger for the North Carolina Forest Service, on a good season, you might burn five of you know, the mountains, you might burn five times. Um, if you're reasonably available 50% of the time for our crew, you'll burn twenty-five you'll burn 25 times in a season. So there's nobody here outside of our crew that's getting more experience with Southern Appalachian Mountains fire than, than what our crew members are getting. And so these folks, I try to, you know, we try to work on taskbooks when we can, and we try to, I'm hoping, you know, that they go on to, 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 to develop other fire programs to get jobs. In the state parks and the forest service and really and become integral parts of this sort of fire community and um Mm -hmm. i think we're making progress i'm excited
0: so the volunteers need to come in with the basic fft2 training do the crew members are they required to have the basic training before they come in
1: yes this year this year was the first time that we didn't require FFT2 minimum. We don't require up-to-date refresher and pack tests because we try to do that right off, the, right off the top at the beginning of the season. This year was the first time we didn't require the FFT2 minimum just because I really wanted some local folks to have even more opportunity to get into wildland fire. Um, I think people don't know, um, I think they think the bar is too high. And it's really not. You know, th- those classes, you can take them online now and then it's not like that that I set them out on their own. but once they have those s 13190 we can take on new people because we have these this core of really experienced folks. And when I came to Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission, that's how I learned. We didn't have to we didn't work on task books, we didn't sit through uh, we didn't sit in I didn't have to go to NWCG classes. We did our own sort of state of Florida, some training, but mostly I was just learning from the people who did it for, who'd been doing it already for 20 years. That's to me, that's the best way to learn. That's the one thing I valued about the Florida Fish and Wildlife uh, Conservation Commission. I learned from those folks in the Florida Forest Service at, at Tate Tell, all those, all those guys and gals there, Learn so much. You just learn so much by doing. And so, if you can get that minimum, I'm gonna stick you. I'm gonna stick you in there with a torch in your hand or a tool. I'm gonna. You might be paired up with with Dean or Keith for your first five, six burns until they say, yeah, they're okay to do it on, to go on their own into this burn unit. But that's kind of the way. That's kind of the way we work. And so, but this year I we opened it up to a couple slots of folks that. Uh, did not have have completed their online training because and we allowed them to work through it because I really want to open this up to people and demographic groups and underrepresented groups in our field that haven't that haven't had the opportunity I didn't nobody told me when I was in high school even college that I could make a career out of wildland fire and retire when I'm 55 or 50 or whatever and I didn't know that till I was You know, done with graduate school, and I wouldn't trade my experience for anything as far as, you know, focus on ecology and wildlife and fisheries. But I want people to know that. I want people to know that that's an opportunity. And I want to provide not only know that that's an opportunity, but jump in. They love it too because they get to go out, they get to kind of audition for different employers. We'll burn for uh, US Forest Service on the Sumter National Forest and upstate. South Carolina one day. And then we'll go up and burn with uh, North Carolina State Parks at Stone Mountain State Park. So they're constantly being introduced to new partners and developing relationships. They have all the opportunity in the world to get on the fire line and talk with burn bosses and firing bosses and supervisors and, and network. And um, it's, just, it's, um, it's just fantastic to watch it happen.
0: Yeah, I love what you said about the trainings, that this year you've really increased access by providing those as a part of the job. One of the questions I wanted to cover was about supporting diversity and increasing inclusion, and one of the biggest things is access. People can take those online trainings, but to have the full certification that includes the required PAC test and field day by doing those in-house, that's a great way to increase access. Do you have any other ways that you currently support diversity, or do you have a future plan?
1: Um, yes, you know, I think one of the endeavors we we did this year is um, I live kind of near uh, the REI, the local REI, and I was, you know, uh, I think somebody a couple years ago sent me this thing one day, um, the video REI Women in Fire, and um, and I have four, I think five women on the crew this year, and generally that's about. We have five to six and good crew, good crew members. And so this year I thought, well, I'm going to go to REI and, I, and say, hey, you all want to let us give us the room and let us do an REI women in fire seminar slash TNC fire crew seminar. And uh, and it was just with that goal. I, I grabbed some friends from the U.S. Forest Service and North Carolina State Parks and uh, North Carolina Forest Service, and we all got together and kind of, just one evening. The title was called REI Women in Fire. And uh, I think we had 40, 50 attendees and, and we talked about wildland fire careers. I, I didn't talk as much as I got, you know, the females in our organizations to, to get up and talk about it. I hope when we can gather back together, we're going to keep doing stuff like that. And I hope to figure out ways to get into um, high schools and things. And because, you know, I see with TNC and with other organizations, we really, you know, we really endeavor to diversify our, um, our staff, our employees, um, to better represent what our, what our country looks like. But if you're starting to start at this point in life where it's a professional level job, that's just too late. And you got to get into high school because a lot of folks, a lot of kids these days don't get out in the woods enough. And if they don't, get out and appreciate nature or don't have the opportunity then they're not going to want to all of a sudden going to want to go into it after they've got a a bachelor's degree in accounting or whatever there's nothing wrong with that at all but a lot of people don't know what they're capable of until you until they're given the opportunity or Mm -hmm. provided an opening or um access and so i feel strongly And it's our responsibility to do that, to um, provide that.
0: Thanks, Adam. We'll continue this conversation in Episode 6, Call When Needed Crew Model Part 2, where we'll discuss recruiting, crew accomplishments, equipment needs, finances, and other costs and benefits associated with this unique model. You can access our podcast on our Southern Fire Exchange website, southernfireexchange.org, or your preferred podcast platform. Thanks for listening to Friends of Fire. Support for this podcast comes from a grant from the Joint Fire Science Program. Special thanks to the University of Florida, Tall Timbers Research Station, and North Carolina State University. If you would like to share your feedback from the show today, or if you have an idea for a future episode, email us at contactus at southernfireexchange.org.